what's good boys um thanks for tuning in to episode 12 and rebel unique podcast this is the one with all the domestic violence it's a powerful one so enjoy it Hello, hello to all my beautiful listeners out there and welcome to another episode of Rebel Unique Podcast with Ingrid Leckie. That's me, BT Dubs. So before I go on, I just want to give you a little disclaimer. Today's episode is going to, it's going to be a little bit different. There are some explicit details and language. Um, I'm going to go into some pretty deep and confronting things about myself and domestic violence. I'm not going to be using any names. um, And for anybody who knows me and knows my story and has lived in my old town with me will probably know the person I'm referring to or the people that I'm referring to in this podcast. But I specifically am not going to use their names because, you know, that's just... Not the right thing to do. But today what I'm talking about is domestic violence and how this has played such a large role in my life. Um, And I think if you've been following me for a while, you would also know that, you know, you would know this story. You would know that this has been part of my story. This has been part of my life. This has been part of my experience. But some of the details I'm going to share today are ones I have not spoken about so or spoken about so specifically before today. And in sharing my story, in sharing this this podcast episode, it's my hope that some of you beautiful women, and maybe men, but some of you beautiful women will resonate with this and understand a little bit more about what you've experienced or may be currently experiencing because, you know, it's not like it's not still going on. So this episode is about my domestic violent relationships. So I've actually had two domestic violent relationships um, in my time. I didn't learn enough from the first one. So the universe was like, well, bitch, seriously, (laughs) Come on, I'll have to just hit you with another one because clearly you need to learn something about domestic violence and relationships and men um, for your evolution. So here, have a second one. Now, the second domestic violent relationship wasn't as extreme as the first one. I don't know if that's potentially because the first time I experienced it, it was just like jaw-dropping, like what the actual fuck is going on here? Um And maybe I'd build up a little bit of uh, resilience to violence, perhaps. I don't know. But um, the second one didn't seem as extreme. And there also wasn't any physical uh, abuse in the second domestic violent relationship. But if I'm being perfectly honest, looking back and reflecting on both of those, I would have preferred, I know this sounds crazy, but if you had given me, had asked me what's worse, physical abuse or mental and emotional abuse, I would pick mental and emotional abuse every single day it is by far worse than physical abuse physical abuse hurts physically for a bit but it heals mental and emotional abuse it digs deep dude it it scars like it goes in there and it is not something that can heal as quickly as physical abuse i also understand that physical abuse comes with a lot of mental and emotional abuse um as well so i'm going to speak about my experience personally this is not 
minimalizing or taking away from anybody else's experience if it's not the same, but I'm sure you will be able to draw parallels if you know what I'm talking about. Okay, so I have some notes here in front of me just to keep me on track because there's so much in there and I could talk about this thing for years and I have spoken about it for years um, through affidavits and court hearings and police records and AVOs and um, DVOs and all the things. So it's not like I haven't spoken about this before. It feels like I'm exhausting this story, but I haven't shared it in the context with you beautiful people um, as my mess because this is my mess this is my my trauma and bringing it through as my message as my triumph so I'm going to speak about my first domestic violent relationship I might speak about the second later on but the first one what happened was uh we met I'll give you a little background we met in 2004 I was 24 um I just got out of a I just got out of my marriage I married my essentially high school sweetheart we weren't really we were together when I was 14 Broke up for a bit back when I was 17, proposed, got married. Um, and this was a guy I'd basically grown up with. And he's a lovely guy, still is, like lovely dude. Had so much love for my ex-hubby. We were just we were just friends pretty much. We just ended up being roommates. There wasn't that deep connection and understanding. We were on different life paths as we grew. We grew apart. And so we decided to separate. Now going from that relationship where... Um, I had big energy, <laughs> shock horror, I know. I had big energy, still do, big energy, big ideas, big dreams, and he wasn't on the same page. So he was more like, he was lo- like low energy, low vibe, sort of chill, um, didn't really want to get out of his comfort zone at the time. Like at the time, you know, we were young. At the time, he might be a completely different person now. But at the time, that's just how he was how I experienced him anyway. So going from that and coming out of that marriage to meeting this dude who was like a larger than life personality and energetic and was interested in the things I was interested in. It was doting on me. It was affectionate and there was sexual connection and there was all these things that I didn't have in my relationship with my ex-husband. So it was like, whoa. And how it started with this dude, um, essentially, no, sorry, um, initially is what I meant to say, initially was as casual sex. We were just hooking up. And full disclaimer, he had uh, he had a girlfriend at the time. And that's a whole other podcast for a whole other day. She didn't live <laughs> in the same town that we were in. She lived like three hours away or something. Um, and that's something I have learnt about myself. Like, you know, not something I'm proud of being the other woman. And I've been the other woman more than once. Not something I'm proud of, but clearly something I accepted as part of who I was and what I deserved and what I was worthy of and not really feeling connected to other women and feeling empathy or compassion for this other woman who was in a relationship with this person that I was having sex with. So I was having sex with this guy and he was all the things. He was great, blah, 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 blah. And I got to a point where I was just like, you know what, enough is enough. I'm just, you know, I'm just going to leave you be. This is not cool. You've got a girlfriend, yada, yada, yada. So... What happened was he said, I want to be with you. So he broke up with his girlfriend. Um, we ended up together. And it was sort of one of those relationships that were hard and fast. Like everything happened quickly. Um, and he was always intense, but it was intense in a good way for me initially. Like it was like, yay, like he's intense with this and intense and, and passionate. And like that's how I saw his energy. Until one day I experienced something different. We decided, so he'd moved in. He moved into my house, my house that I'd bought with my ex-husband. He'd moved into that. 
And he'd actually told me, if your divorce was final, I would have proposed to you by now. And it was really early. And at the time I was like, wow, that's, that's, a, that's really soon, but okay. And I just sort of let that go. Haha, <laughs> let that off. Anyway, there was this one time we were decided to paint the house. The wall colors were yellow. We decided to paint them like a cream or whatever it was. And we were painting. He was a builder and um, he was a builder by trade, builder carpenter. And we decided to paint these walls and I was cutting in. If you don't know what cutting in is, it's like the edges. It's like where the join of the, like the roof, the ceiling meets the wall and they're different colors. So you've got to cut in and be really accurate. Um, anyway, he said, can you go up to Bunnings and get me a brush for cutting in? I'm like, cool. So I went to Bunnings and I got a cutting in brush because, you know, that made sense. And I brought it back and he went off. If I had have asked for a fucking cutting in brush, I would have fucking asked for one. You should have got this brush. Fuck, fuck. Like it just went off. And I was like, whoa, like this was completely something different than I had experienced him as. And he was like full on about it. And I was in tears and he was telling me I was stupid. What kind of idiot? Fuck, like just went off. And I, and then um, further went on about, you know, how I was crying and that was ridiculous. And I was blown away. I was just like, whoa. But how my ego justified this was couples fight. This is our first fight. It's all good. Um, we made up. All was well. And that's really the first full on fight I remember. I'm sure there were other ones, but this was one of the first ones I remember um, being really out of character. I'm sure there were more to follow after that. I won't go into all of them, but it blew me out of the water. I was just like, this is not cool. I've never experienced anyone who argues like this over a paintbrush. Like just, you got the wrong one, babe, go back to Bunnings or I'll go back to Bunnings or whatever. Like I thought that's really all it would take because for myself coming into this, I was like, I was a confident, intelligent, chilled chick. Like, you know, pretty much the same as I am now, but just better now, guys. <laughs> but I was. I was confident, um, intelligent, and pretty chill. So to me, this was like, what the fuck? Um, anywho, at some point, we decided, down the track, we decided to, we'd been living together for a while, doing stuff together, hanging out. We decided, you know, this is really good. We're great. Things are great. Let's try for a baby. I'm pretty sure I might have suggested it. From memory, I'll just say that. And he was like, yes, like, let's do this. Oh my God, so excited, blah, blah, blah. So I went off the pill and within three days, I was pregnant. <laughs> Fertile much? Within three days, I was pregnant. And I'm not exaggerating. It was the moment I showed him the pregnancy stick turned positive, shit changed. It was like he thought, I've got her now. She's not going anywhere. So I don't have to hold this facade. And when I look back on it now, prior to that pregnancy stick turning positive, it was almost like grooming. And I think this is textbook domestic violent relationship. I think that's what they call it, grooming, where they like what you like and they put you up on a pedestal and they think you're an absolute queen and they're, you know, best friends with your friends and, and they dote on you and everything's fantastic until it's not. And when this pregnancy stick turned positive, that's when shit changed. It got intense. I was, uh, I was accused of cheating. Um, he got more and more controlling. 
there was this began this cycle like the further the pregnancy went along the harder it got I was I was having panic attacks I barely recognized myself like I was like how does this guy have me emotionally over a barrel I was crying every single day Um, there was almost like a cycle where he would um, and I should say that this guy also did drugs and was a drinker and a gambler mostly drugs and alcohol gambling was a devil thing still not in a healthy way not that I believe any type of gambling is really that healthy but it wasn't healthy so he was a drinker and he also did drugs Um, I never did drugs hand on heart never did drugs just didn't interest me I was he always offered I was like no not my thing and thinking back now I just think how did I accept a person like clearly this is part of my self-value and self-belief and self-worth how did I accept a person who did drugs when I was so anti-drugs I've done marijuana once in my life and I ate a whole bag of Doritos I got the munchies didn't even get the laughs just ate a whole bag of Doritos and was like dude I'm gonna blow out like I'm gonna have massive amount of body fat if I keep smoking pot (laughs) so I never did it again never did any drugs never so it got to a point where I was even pregnant I remember pregnant standing behind the kitchen bench cooking spaghetti bolognese and he was snorting coke off the kitchen bench snorting lines off the kitchen bench next to me before I went out with his mate I was heavily pregnant and I just was like whatever he gets to do what he gets to do it's not for me that was my mentality at the time um and a lot of my self-belief and my self-values that obviously didn't exist in the first place were diminished even more so because of the things he was saying and the things he was doing and and how he was um making me feel so it got to a point where he had turned my friend not turned my friends he turned me against my friends in that he isolated and alienated me from my friends and you know they're bad for you and they don't understand you like I do. And he'd made me feel like he was the only one that got me. But I still kept in contact with one friend in particular because I felt like she understood. But it got to a point where she was like, I can't do this anymore, dude. I don't understand why you're not leaving. I don't get it. And I and I understand why she didn't. But it also was heartbreaking to not have anyone who truly understood. And I've only really fully disclosed the extent of this domestic violence relationship to my mum in the last couple of years. And she was like, Ingi, I had no idea it was that bad. Like, it was bad. So anyway, back to this cycle. I was a personal trainer at the time. So I would get up early to have clients. He would get up early to be a builder. Um, He would go nuts in the morning and abuse me and say shit. And I would be like a mess before I had to show up to clients. Or sometimes I'd even cancel them because I'd just be like, I can't go out and motivate people now. This is fucked. And... My business suffered accordingly, obviously, because I wasn't a reliable trainer. So then he would go to work and he'd go to work all day. He'd mostly go to the pub um, and I wouldn't hear from him most of the day. He'd come home from the pub and um, most if he didn't come home from the pub, he'd come home and drink and fall asleep on the lounge or he'd come home and abuse me. So he would come home from work. I don't even know, five o'clock, can't remember. Let's just say five o'clock. And he would instantly come in and tell me how fucking useless I was using the words, you are fucking useless. You're the only person I know who takes all day to do nothing. Even though I'd been training clients, even though I'd done all the things, but he'd come home and see that the bins hadn't been emptied. And that would set him off. And he'd go on this massive rant and he'd start, you know, no wonder your father left and like all this personal stuff and your mum's this and your brother that and, 
you this and no wonder you've got no clients and I've heard along the grapevine that they don't train with you because of this reason and that reason and you're this and you're that. Take note that I'm pregnant at the time. Pregnant, pregnant, pregnant. Um, another time he went off because I bought him the wrong soap. What the fuck is this shit? Rah, 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 like yelling out from the shower. And I was like, what the hell? You got me goat soap. <laughs> Thought you were the goat, mate. Clearly not. Clearly not the goat. Another time I packed his ute the wrong way up the driveway. And I was a fucking idiot for that. And he went off on that. He yelled things like, one day I'm going to burn this house down with you in it. And it just went on and on and on and on. And I remember crying. I remember sitting I remember sitting on the toilet one day, like just going in the toilet, not actually on the toilet, just sitting on it like a seat and lo- locking myself in there and just holding my be- my growing belly and just apologizing to my unborn baby over and over and over. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, baby, that this is your father. I'm sorry you're experiencing this. I promise I'll give you all the love you need and all the things and... It was crazy. It was daily. There was, not, there was not a day. I didn't get a day rest. It was every single day, whether it was just a little bit or a lot. And then the cycle came back around where he worshipped me like I was his princess. Um, he used the word cunt a lot. I was a cunt and I hate that word, but I'm just using it in context. He called me a cunt a lot. Like you fucking cunt, whether it was to my face or in message or whatever, mostly to my face. He called me that a lot, a lot. Um, and when I reminded him, I remember one time I reminded him of you said this and you called me that and you told me I was a fucking cunt and he had no recollection of it. He's like, no, I didn't say that. I'm like, you did. You 100% did. And he's like, I'm so sorry. And then he would go into his victim story about, you know, he'd witnessed his dad abuse his mum, and that's all he knew. And he'd been in a football culture because that's, he was a professional footballer for a while and you know that's just part of it and then from the football culture he went to managing a nightclub up on the Gold Coast which was drugs and girls and sex and um, just he hadn't he didn't know how to be in this relationship or how to be any other way and like there were the moments where I felt for him and I was like this is the human side this is him this is who he is oh my god but then boom, the monster would come out again. And it got worse and worse and worse. Nobody understood. Nobody understood. He had everybody fooled, everybody he worked with, everybody he played. Um, I can't remember if he played football at the time locally. I don't think he did. But he was involved with the football club. And everyone at the football club, everyone down at the pub, all his mates, all his sister's mates, and everyone they co-associated with, he had them all fooled. They thought he was an absolute god. And I had them people coming to me saying, oh, he's such a good guy. You make sure you look after him. And I'd be thinking, oh, yeah, great. I was just held up against the wall half an hour ago around my throat and you're telling me to look after him. That's great. But, you know, you can't tell people that. People just didn't get it. They just didn't get it. In addition to all this, as I got more and more pregnant, um... It started to get physical and I remember one instance he shoved me back like he was backing me into a corner, backing me into a corner and I actually hit him. I smacked him across like open hand across the face I think probably four times and then pushed him in the chest and he just stood there and laughed at me and then backed me into a corner, backed me, backed me, backed me until I fell backwards. I think I was seven months pregnant, fell backwards, hit my back on the side table next to my bed and fell backwards in pain. And he just laughed at me. 
There was one instance when I had really bad sciatica when I was pregnant and literally had to crawl on all hands and, and knees to get to the toilet. Um, or get to, I couldn't get myself anything to eat because I couldn't stand up. Like it would just grab and shoot down my butt cheek and oh, like it was, it lasted a few days. I went to a uh, osteopath who helped it a little bit, but it lasted, I think, for at least a few days and I couldn't walk. And my mum had to come over and like get me food and stuff because he was off doing drugs and getting drunk and um, thought I was faking it and putting on and, you know, no, oh, I need to hire a fucking nurse to look after you, don't I? Like, there are so many examples, guys. I cannot, I cannot even touch on it. Like, just even speaking about it, this whole, I feel like this whole flood of memories and statements and things are coming through of all the things he said and did and it was, it was massive. It was monstrous. Nothing I can say can truly have you understand the gravity of this relationship. I was in this relationship for two years. So from the moment we met in 2004 to the moment we um, separated in 2006. Um, And it went into a point of me being raped. When I was heavily pregnant, I was being raped. And at the time, I didn't feel it. I didn't think it was rape. This is only something I've realized in the last few years. Like, holy fuck, I was raped. Like, I was raped. (coughs) There was one time when... Uh, it was my grandmother's funeral. I was, I think, seven or eight months pregnant. I remember it being really hot, um, and I almost passed out standing at this, uh, standing at the funeral in the heat. But I had my grandmother's funeral, my mum's mum, and then I had one of my dear friends from school. His mum died. And so then I went from my mum's funeral, uh, sorry, my, my nan's funeral to his mum's funeral back to back. So I'd done that and then I went home and he wanted to have sex. And I obviously did not want to have sex. But he bent me over the bed and pulled up my dress, my tight, tight dress that was like making me feel past, like I was going to pass out. And so, I, and had sex with me. And I just took it and cried. Um, numerous times when this happened, he would make me bleed and I'd have to go to the maternity ward and get checked out and make sure the baby was okay. Um, and you know, it was just laughed off as vigorous sex and all oh, these guys are sexually active and they need to calm down. And I laughed it off too, cause I didn't think anything different at the time. I was like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, sex life. <laughs> it didn't feel right in my gut. It didn't feel right. But you, at the time, like this is 2004, domestic violence wasn't really spoken about much not the way it is now not where there's like movements and um understandings and and um campaigns around domestic violence especially for women there's not there wasn't a lot there wasn't any media coverage on it i didn't even call it a domestic violent relationship until years after i remember i had a beautiful girlfriend who was a social worker and she was really supportive after i separated from this dude um, and I was talking to her about it. She was actually a PT client of mine turned friend. And she brought me this pamphlet. And she's like, Ingy, I want you to read this. And I'm like, what is this? She's like, it's on domestic violence. I'm like, why do I need this? And she's like, just read it. And it, it highlighted the telltale signs of a domestic violent relationship, the things you might be thinking, experiencing. And I'm like, oh my fucking God. It's like someone has written this pamphlet for me. And I said, so... I'm in a domestic violent relationship. And she's like, yeah, you are. Or I was because we'd separated at the time. You were in a domestic violent relationship. I was like, holy fuck. Like having a label on it made, 
it helped make a little bit more sense, but it still hadn't really sunk in. Having further labels down the track like narcissism and sociopathic behaviors made even more sense. And this isn't for everybody, but in my experience, most domestic violent relationships, you're experiencing somebody with who has narcissistic behaviors and tendencies. Uh, and both of my domestic violent relationships absolutely 100% did. And it was really nice to be able to go, oh, okay, it's not me going crazy. These things do exist. And this is somebody who has mental issues and is behaving in such a way that they're not aware of. They're doing what they know, but it's really toxic. Their behaviors are toxic. Um, so we separated. I finally got him out. We broke up so many times and he refused. I'm not fucking going anywhere. Rah, rah. Like I tried to get him out so many times. Uh, one time <clears throat> I did get him out. We separated and he went to his mate's house for a week, but he gave me, you know, massive promises and therapy and all the things. And I believed him. I believed him. And if you're sitting here listening to us going, oh, stupid girl, why did you leave? This is like the common cry for domestic violent relationships. I was one of those girls <coughs> where I would look on to other relationships that were, you know, really yuck. And I'd be like, why doesn't she just leave? But being in it, I get it. I get it now. And I stayed for two reasons. Let me just have a drink. Mm-hmm. I say, let me just have a drink like you guys can stop me. Um, I stayed for two reasons. One, especially being pregnant and the more pregnant I became and then after having my beautiful baby boy, I stayed because in my head it was safer. And I'll explain that. It was safer for me to know where he was to be able to predict the abuse rather than not know where he was and have him show up and blindside me. It was safer for me to be able to protect my baby boy um, knowing where he was. That was my justification and it made sense because I could predict it because that's what safety is, right? If you can predict the outcome, then you're safer. If you can't predict it, it feels really unsafe. And my ego was like, stay, it's safer, even though it was so, so toxic and so abusive. The other reason was the promises that he kept making. I kept believing them. I believed, I wanted to believe that he could change. I wanted to believe that he could follow through on what he was saying, especially because he had a child, his first child, on the way. And I was holding this happy family picture in my head. I kept thinking to myself over and over, how can I go to the labor ward without the father? I have this vision of <coughs> of the father of my firstborn child holding my hand and looking into my eyes and telling me he loves me. And... um. You know, us bringing this beautiful bundle of joy home and him being supportive all through the labor and just, you know, worshipping the whole process that is childbirth. That was my whole vision. like, And I didn't want to let go of that. So I was really like white knuckling this relationship that clearly needed to be let go. And I learned, no, I won't say I learned quicker the second time because I totally fucking didn't. <laughs> but I, I needed to let it go. So... Um, and lots of stuff happened leading up to the pregnancy, uh, the birth, I should say, of my beautiful boy. Lots, so much stuff happened. Um, so many panic attacks, so much abuse, uh, holes in walls, yelling, fucking cunt, every single day. You've got to understand, guys, this is every single day. There was not a break. This is a daily thing. The only time I got a break is if he was at the pub. 
or he was got he went to a wedding or something and I was like go without me travel go away go without me so anyway had my beautiful boy um the labor was ridiculous in the sense that he was not supportive at all even to the point where the midwife was like she yelled at him like she was like enough this is the mother they're bonding like she just went off at him because she just had enough of him um had my beautiful boy I went into the shower because I was still bleeding after the birth. Went into the beautiful hot shower. There was a seat in there. for No, there wasn't a seat in there for me at the time. And I said, I leaned out the door and said, can someone get me a seat? I feel like I'm going to pass out. Dude had taken off with our baby to show him off to everybody he could find in the hospital. This is like, I don't even know what time it is. It be one o'clock in the morning, maybe? Because he was born at midnight. So, yeah, it would have been just after that. So he was trying to find people that he knew in the hospital be like, this is my baby, this is my baby. And I was here, I was standing in the shower, like, bleeding out. <laughs> Dramatic, not quite true, but bleeding a lot post-birth, post-pushing um, my beautiful baby boy out. Um, got home from the hospital. He left. He was gone. He like, you're right, aren't you? Like, dropped me off at midday. I was home by myself with the beautiful boy. And he took off, went to the pub. Um, didn't get home till six the next morning, off his face, high, drunk, all the things. I had my beautiful girlfriend. I had a girlfriend over at the time. She came over and hung with me for the night, which was lovely. So the abuse continued. Um, actually, no, after we got home, I think he was good. I'm doing inverted commas. He was good for about a week. And then he, I'm like, oh, my God, this having this baby has snapped him out of his shit. He's had a huge wake-up call. He's realized he needs to be a better man for his son. This is it. This is it. He's changing. He's being all the things that he said he was going to be. A week it lasted. Um, and then it didn't. <laughs> then we were back. We were back to the abuse and then some. It was, whew, there was, uh, I'll tell you one specific example I can remember. Um, I was breastfeeding my beautiful boy sitting on the lounge breastfeeding my beautiful boy and dude was we're calling him dude if you haven't noticed already dude was in the kitchen yelling at me I can't remember what it was for I think it was because he caught the fact that I'd been watching tv that day I don't know there was something small and he was going off on yelling and yelling yelling and I was just crying and just thinking fuck here we go again I thought this would change fuck and just crying crying like well I'm sitting on the lounge breastfeeding I have this suckling little child on my breast on my boob and dude comes over to me and kneels like bends down and kneels in front of me eye contact and yells into my eyes as I'm crying boo fucking who you cunt while I'm breastfeeding oh I just get me cold shivers and I was just like what and I stood up still with my beautiful boy breastfeeding and walked into another room into a spare bed into the, one of the spare bedrooms and sat up against the door holding my little boy so he couldn't get in and he was barging the door with his shoulder barging he barged it so hard that my knee that was up against the wall went through the jip rock let me in give me my son let me in don't you dare take him away from me like up against the door let me in you fucking cunt that was just a glimpse and this went on and on and on and on until it didn't. I got to the point, guys, where I was like, you know what? 
And this is six, my, my little darling, six weeks old when I got him out because I was just like, I am not having my son grow up thinking this is how a man is, thinking this is how women are treated, thinking this is what a relationship looks like. I'm breaking the fucking cycle now. His father has grown up thinking that that's the normal because that's how he saw his father. I am not having my beautiful child think this is okay. I'm not having his central nervous system exposed even more so because obviously in the womb he was exposed to it and outside of like six weeks in he was exposed to it and then obviously after we separated he was exposed to it because he still visited his father and had visitation. But for me, relationship-wise, I was like, no. And I was scared as fuck. I was so scared. I was scared of what was to come. I knew he was controlling. I knew that he had half the town under his thumb. Like, even the police thought he was God. Like, because they were all tied to football. It was all this football connection. I was scared, guys. I was really fucking scared of what was to come. How I was going to keep my baby. I was afraid of losing him. I was afraid of my baby growing up and being brainwashed by this guy who had this innate ability to convince people that he was this awesome human being and turn people against other people namely me so much fear but I did it anyway because I knew that I could not live another moment in this environment and I had to do something it wasn't easy getting him out and he wasn't going to go it came to me putting everything on his front on the front uh lawn stealing his key from his keychain when he wasn't looking and locking him out um and then threatened to call the police when he was banging on the door trying to break in Following this, it didn't end there. So this is just two years of that relationship. The abuse continued off and on um, for 10 years. For 10 years. It was intense initially. Eventually it just sort of was like, it's always intense no matter when it comes through. But I mean intense as in uh, intermittency. Like it was bang, bang, bang. I was getting like 15, 20 messages a day every single day like fuck this and fuck you and you're going down I'm gonna get you and this and blah and blah like just every single day and I kept all of them and I printed them out I had over 1500 messages printed out on paper just in case I needed them this was most of my time was spent keeping a diary of his activities and abuse and and communication with me and printing out messages and like it was a and contacting my solicitor and just, oh, it was awful. It was so awful. And then having to know that I had no physical evidence because I had no physical evidence other than messages and he hadn't done anything to my baby yet, yet, I had to hand my baby over to this man who was clearly mentally unstable, who was unsafe, who threatened to kill me and kill himself. I had to hand my baby over legally. I had not a leg to stand on because I had no physical evidence. So that started my whole paper trail. Like I was like documenting everything because I'm like, this is, there's got to come a time when this is to end because I just know that he's not going to change and there's going to come a time when this darling little baby boy is going to stand up to his father and his father's not going to like it and it's going to be, it's going to end in abuse. I just knew that was going to happen. So I had to bide my time, which sucked. But at the time... Um, after separation, I went, because the abuse continued. And so my solicitor was like, Ingrid, you need to get an AVO on this person. And it's called a DVO for anybody listening in Victoria. An AVO, an Apprehension Violence Order. Um, 
and I'm sure you know what that is, but just quickly, it's, you know, just a piece of paper essentially to stop the person coming from within a certain distance from you in any given situation to not, they're not allowed to message you, contact you, anything. Like it's to cut off all communication from this person to keep them away. It's just a piece of paper. Like legally I can enforce it if he crosses that boundary, but if he decides to cross that boundary and come at me with a gun or knife or whatever, I'm fucked. Like that piece of paper ain't going to do shit. Anyway, so I went to the police because I was told go to the police to get an AVO. Did that. I took the 1,500 printed messages out. These two male police officers looked through the messages and said, I was there, like, there for hours, and they're back and forth. And by this time, guys, you've got to understand, like, I've told this story so many times to my solicitor, <coughs> to um, mediation, to all the things. Like, I just kept, felt like I felt like I was constantly justifying myself and trying to get across the gravity and the severity of the situation without sounding crazy Um, because he'd made me believe he'd made me believe I was crazy the whole time we were together he made me think it was me it's called gaslighting is the term when someone is guilty of something but they make you believe that it's you or they make you believe that whatever's in your head or whatever you're saying is in your head he totally had me believing I was crazy and um, making stuff up and I was I was amplifying things like he I was like, well, you know, he, I made that, I upset him because I didn't put the bins out, so it's my fault. Like, that's how I was thinking. Even though I was like, what? Still was like, all right, so tomorrow night I just have to make sure the bins are put out to avoid it. But, you know, there'd always be something. Anyway, went to these police, gave them the, the printed out messages, said all the things. They turned to me and they said, we're really sorry, there's nothing we can do. This just looks like a volatile relationship. It's pretty much just he said, she said. And I was like, oh, right. Right, so I went back to my solicitor and he said, no, I'm going to put you in contact with the domestic violence officer. Um, She will help you. So I went and spoke to her um, and she said, Ingrid, this is domestic violence. You need an AVO. I'll help you with this. And in doing so, um, invited these two male police officers to come and apologize to me, which they also did, which was great. Thanks, guys. Thanks. I'm really sorry. And in that moment, I thought, I wonder how many times beautiful women like me go to try and get their case across and get turned away like maybe not so much now um because domestic violence is so is taken far more seriously but i'm sure there still are cases that are just like look this is just an argument this is just a domestic argument between a couple we can't do anything like i just it just really made me think i wonder how many beautiful women get turned away and that's really where the system's failing us isn't it like it's you know it's hard to even ask for that help. I know it was hard for me to go and ask for an ABO. It was hard for me to leave. All of it was difficult. For all of us beautiful women experiencing domestic violence, for us to take those steps to first get away and then to try and seek protection from this person who is completely unstable, it's a big ask. To be turned away from that help and be told that you're crazy, essentially, and that's all in your head, oh, it's, it's devastating. I'm just so glad that I had a supportive, amazing solicitor who was like, nope, helping you on this. And so he did. Um, yeah, so I think it had four AVOs in total. I'm not going to go into the whole timeline of it. Four AVOs, they just kept getting renewed. Um, he would still stalk me. He would drive past my house. He would message me. I'd go places and he'd say, you know, basically, I know where you are. I can see you. Um, so then I'd have to get another domestic violence, I mean, another AVO in place. 
Um, it was crazy. And this is a town that I lived in where, you know, news traveled fast. So <laughs> I remember falling pregnant with my second beautiful boy with Mad Socks. And I hadn't told anybody yet. And I remember telling one of my clients, my PT clients at the time, within half an hour of telling her, I had a message from dude, the first dude, the first domestic violence dude, calling me a slut and things and all the stuff. Like, <laughs> like wow. News travels fast in this town. So it was really difficult. I felt at the time I was living in a fishbowl. I felt like every move I made was being watched. I was like, I would physically shake if I heard his voice or saw his car or like I had this whole physiological reaction from my nervous system. <clears throat> like if I ever saw him, it was really, really, really difficult, really difficult. And what made it more difficult was he had a family that was validating his behavior, even though his mum, like I went to his mum at one point, and I, I remember when I was with him and I said, this is what's happening. He's abusing me. I know you've experienced this. What did you do? And she said, you're not going to change him. She said, as much as I love him, you're not going to change him. She said to me, don't do what I did with his dad. She said, leave. That's what she said. But obviously this woman was so scared of her partner and family and all the things that she backed her, like, backed her son. When she was face to face with him, she backed him and, and badmouthed me and said all these awful things at the time. Um, their family's justification was that I provoked the abuse or I antagonized him. I antagonized him. Like, oh yeah, no, he did do that, but she provoked it. No, yeah, he did do that. But, you know, because I had proof, so they had to admit to it. She's got the messages that say this, this, this. Um, What do you have to say for yourself? Oh yeah, he did do that, but she antagonized him and she provoked him. Um, after separation, you know, I was a bad mother. He told me he was going to take my son. Um, he had people, I was running into random strangers down the street who were telling me I was psycho. I'm like, I'm sorry, who are you? Like it it was intense. It was really intense. I overheard conversations in the next aisle at the supermarket about, you know, this guy that they know by name and he loves his son and his psycho ex bitches having him taken away. Um, taking him away from him and denying him access, and which wasn't true at all. He was seeing him on a regular basis, unfortunately, at the time. Um, and I was just like, oh, my God, this, what's happening? This this sounds awful. And then I was like, holy shit, they're talking about me. That's me. I'm the psycho ex bitch. And I wish at the time I'd gone up and just been like, hey, guys, that's me. I'm the psycho ex bitch. What questions do you have? That's what I would do now. At the moment, I was just like, I just, I felt like this little mouse. I kept caught to myself. I didn't tell too many people my story. He was going around telling his story and victimizing himself. And, and everyone was like, rah, Ingrid, rah, psycho. And I just stayed quiet. I didn't tell many people what was happening. Um, and I trusted very few people because there were some people I did tell what was happening and then would go back to him and tell him or someone he knew. Or It was just, it, it was a really sticky situation. Um, and it was really hard to take. Uh, but at the end of the day, my goal, my my shining light was my little boy. And I would have done anything for him. I would have fought to the absolute death for him to ensure that he was protected and he was safe. And it was an ongoing battle. <clears throat> um, yeah. So if you're wondering how that story ends up, <laughs> um, it got to a point where 
I hardly heard from him anymore. He occasionally just sent through some random text. There was actually a point, actually, just funnily enough, this is how crazy this guy is. Uh, when I was pregnant with Maddox, my second little man, who is obviously not from the same father, he's from the second domestic violent relationship, dude actually wanted to get back with me. He was like, you know, telling me how good I looked and wanted to send me flowers and take me on a date. I'm like, are you serious? There's been unlimited AVOs. We've been through so many courtship. I kind of lost count. Um, <laughs> what? Like I was actually just like, what? And he was rel- like, wouldn't give up. And it actually made me see how I fell for it the first time. Like he can turn it on. He can turn on the charm. He can make you feel like, you know, he's really persistent. He must really like me. All right, I'll give this guy a chance. And that's how so many girls would fall for it as well. And I just want you to know, beautiful women listening to this, you are not alone. It is not your fault and you didn't deserve it. You are not alone. It is not your fault and you didn't or don't deserve it. And there are ways. There are ways to get out. Please don't think that you need to stay to be safer. I understand it and I get it, but please don't think that's the only way, especially with children involved. You yourself are detrimental and important enough to to get out and have a beautiful life of freedom and joy and happiness and play and fun. And when children are involved, even more so, because that's, you know, we've got the responsibility of these other lives in our hands as well. So it's our responsibility as parents to get the fuck out and choose something different. Even if it means we end up in a women's shelter to start with until we get on our feet. There's a way. There is always a way. And if you're listening to this and you're like, I have no fucking idea where to start. I don't know what to do. Please, please reach out to me. Go onto my Instagram, Ingrid underscore Lecky. I-N-G-R-I-D underscore Lecky, L-E-C-K-E. I'll put the link in the notes. Just go in there and message me. And I've, I offer this all the time and I've had so many messages from so many beautiful women across the world actually. Um, in domestic violent relationships who have heard my story and actually said, I didn't realize I was in a domestic violent relationship until you spoke about it. Domestic violence in my head was physical and because at the time I wasn't actually experiencing much physical abuse, it came, but I wasn't experiencing it at the time. I figured it was just arguments. But there was so much mental, emotional, financial, spiritual abuse on a daily basis that's all domestic violence my loves that is all domestic violence especially when they have you believing that you're the crazy one especially when they have you thinking that without them you're nothing you'll never you'll never get anyone else I was told that all the time you're a single mother with fucking animals and a kid you're not going to get anyone else like it's their own it's their own wounding that they're coming from where they need control to feel like they're big, to feel like, you know, their inflated ego, to feel like they're enough. It's the only thing they know how. It's the only way they know how. And I take responsibility for allowing him to stay for as long as I did or allowing myself to... I take responsibility for that. It was a choice. I didn't deserve it, but I do take responsibility for that. And I always say that. I always say I take responsibility for that. And I've done enough healing and forgiveness and release and trauma work and all the things over the years to be able to stand here and say that I love him. Now that may sound fucking crazy to you listening to it, but I do. I love him on a soul level. 
because I know without him, I wouldn't be the powerful fucking woman that I am today. I wouldn't be the insightful, conscious, compassionate mother that I am today. I wouldn't be experiencing the levels of joy and fun and play and sadness and happiness that I do today without him. Because in my experience of him, I put up this massive wall. I didn't do therapy. He was told, you need a fucking therapist. But because he told me that, I knew that if I went, it would work against me. And I, oh, I felt like it would work against me. And it would essentially say that, I, you know, I'm crazy and she's in therapy and she needs help. And I was afraid. My ultimate fear was that he would somehow get my, take my beautiful baby boy away from me. That was my biggest fear. Somehow he manipulate something that's going on and it, it would work against me and I would lose him. So I didn't have any therapy or anything at the time. So what I did is just suppress my emotions. I stopped crying. I stopped feeling anger. People were like, you must hate him. I'm like, nope, I don't hate him. I don't love him. I just feel nothing for him. Nothing. And that nothingness became numbness and I was numb. I had a wall up to protect myself because I felt like if I felt anything or felt any emotion, it meant that he was winning. So I didn't feel it. But that wall that was up, it also blocked out the joy and the happiness and the play and the fun to an extent that I deserved. I was still happy. I still you know, had played with my beautiful boy and my beautiful girlfriend at the time. I had this one true friend who was just there for me and she was amazing. Um, we're not friends anymore. We grew, grew apart and we're just on different paths. But I have so much love for her and she was amazing. Um, and had so much fun with her and my beautiful little little blonde angel. Um, and I had other relationships. They weren't domestically violent, but they they weren't for me either. There was, I met some really nice guys, but just, you know, just not for me. Just not for me. Um, and they all taught me something as well. Um, and without going to all the details, the second domestic violent relationship started the exact same way. Casual sex while he had a girlfriend. Full disclaimer. It started. That's how it started. And ended up being no relationship. It was never any relationship. But I fell pregnant. Um, my little mad socks. My little Maddox. He was a massive upper days. Upper days! <laughs> there was no mistake about that kid. He was coming through no matter how. He was coming through. So, and it was... Yeah, it was it was intense. It was never a real relationship the second time around. It was always just let's give this a go, and we'd be together for a maximum probably of three months at a time, and then apart for six months, and then together, and then apart. But he would do the same. The patterns were the same. He'd come back with a bigger promise. I'd believe it. I'd want him to be a better person. I'd buy into it. I'd allow it, and the behavior would be the same. He was <clears throat> a sex addict. <clears throat> oh, sex addict and a gambler like bad addictive gambler um like blew the kids savings accounts to gamble on horses and dogs and basketball games and shit um and cheated all the time and again I take responsibility I allowed that I allowed that there was some part of me that was like I don't deserve any better consciously I was like fuck I deserve better than this but underneath all that I was running from I'm not enough I don't deserve better um, belief and so I just kept accepting him back in because I was holding on to something that he made me feel and again same persona as the first guy like had a had a big persona in town was it another football player 
I know, you'll laugh. Another football player. No more football players, guys. <laughs> I promise. Another football player had a big persona, was popular, made me feel something that I didn't. Um, and I didn't know this at the time. I'm just reflecting back on it. And I made it okay to have sex with this guy casually, sometimes when he had a girlfriend, sometimes he didn't. Sometimes he did and I wasn't aware of it until after. But sometimes I was aware of it. So, and again, she didn't live in the same place. So it was, it was okay in my mind. Um, yeah, definitely not proud of it. Definitely not proud of it. And in turn, she ended up doing the same thing to me when we were actually, or was actually together with dude number two. But it's a whole, it's a whole, it is a whole other timeline. And I'm not going to take up any more time telling you about that. But lesson learned, (laughs) lesson learned guys. So what happened with the first dude with um, my beautiful blonde boy, my beautiful big hunter, he no longer sees his father. What happened was when he was in kindy, he started to show signs of not wanting to go to his father's. And I remember once at home, he spilt, he actually spilt the milk, like spilt the milk on the bench and just was like, just went into complete breakdown. I'm so sorry, mum. I'm so sorry, mum. Please, mum. I'm so sorry. Please, please, please. I'm so sorry. I'm like, what are you doing? I said, baby, it's milk. Just stop stressing. It's fine. Like, he literally was crying over spilled milk. And then that was the first, like, okay, why is he doing that? That was the first question. Because <clears throat> I couldn't, again, like I said to you before, guys, my hands were tied. I couldn't do anything until something happened, which is the worst part about this whole system. We can't take action until he hurts the child mentally, emotionally, physically. We can't do anything until something happens, which sucks, fucking sucks. But <clears throat> and it got to a point where he said enough and his teacher actually started bringing to my awareness um, some things at school and he wasn't wanting to go to school. He was constantly in the sick bay. I was getting calls from the ladies at the office at his school all the time saying, can you come and pick him up? Um, he's not well. And that happened a lot. And it always happened just before he was about to go to his dad's or just after he got back from his dad's. And what it was, he just wanted to be with me because as soon as he got with me, he was fine. As soon as he got in the car, he's like, yeah, I'm feeling better now, mum. I'm like, well, you want to go back to school? Nah. So he was missing a lot of school. So I ended up taking him to a um, psychologist and she was amazing. And she saw him for a whole year. But when she first went, he first went to her, she asked him to draw a picture of what it's like going to dad's. And I won't go into the exact graphics of that, but from that picture, um, she called me in after the session and she said, get him out, get him out now. I'm going to call docs. Um, I want you to call your solicitor and tell him that all visitations are going to be ceased until further notice. And that's how it started. So... He, dude, the dude was told if he got help, if he sought out help and had therapy, he could then start to integrate time back in with his son. He started doing that, but realized he'd have to admit to being a perpetrator of domestic violence. He wasn't willing to do that. So then turned it around and it was his son who was a lying little dickhead. It was his therapist who was a cunt. It was my son's therapist who was also a cunt. These are his words. Um, And he didn't follow through with any more treatment, any more therapy. So hasn't seen his son since. Um, And I've told my beautiful boy, you know, in time, if you 
do want to contact him or whatever, that's up to you, honey. Like you're getting older and that's, that's your call. <clears throat> but he hasn't felt the need yet. He might, but he hasn't yet. So that's that story. On domestic violence, my relationship with domestic violence, my domestically violent relationship. Um, I also just want to note that time and time again, the pattern repeated itself. He didn't change. He had so many beautiful women after me who he also was in a domestic violent relationship with. And if you are a person who has experienced a domestic violent relationship, you might also have experienced, I say experience a lot, you might have also experienced your ex-partner with a new partner who thinks that you're a psycho bitch, who thinks that you're brainwashing the kids, who thinks that um, you're mental, who thinks that you are pining after him still, who thinks like a million different things because that's the story he has told. Same, same. Same happened with me, my love. Time and time again, he had girlfriend after girlfriend who thought I was psycho, who felt sorry for him and his story and um, still does to this day. Has um, I have a, a girlfriend who actually said... Anyway, other story. He has... He had partners over and over who supported him, felt sorry for him, and then experienced the domestic violence. And I have had, um, I've had four, literally had four, I'm just thinking, counting in my head, I've had four of the women that he's been with in the past after me reach out to me and apologize. I just said, I'm really sorry, Ingrid. I believed him for so long that you were this person. And then I experienced it and I realized that you actually weren't. I actually realized you weren't full of shit. I actually realized it was him. Um, I'm really sorry. I'm sorry that he was like this. I'm sorry that, you know, he did this to you and did this to me. So in that, my message is, the truth will come out, my sweetheart. Don't feel like you need to run around and try and tell everybody the truth and get everyone to see. Also, don't feel like, you know, that worry of, if I am this person and if I choose these other choices or if I do something different, that all these people around him will judge me. Who gives a fuck? They're judging you anyway or they're going to. So please just choose for you. If that means leaving the relationship and your fear of judgment of other people, leave. If it is unhealthy and toxic to your well-being and the well-being of your children, leave leave and I know that's easy for you know it's not easy for me to say because I've experienced it I know saying just leave seems so simple and it's not so simple I get that but find a way to get out you were not put on this earth to survive and fight in that relationship fight for yourself and survive for yourself and your children in that relationship you're here to thrive my lovely and while that relationship is part of your evolution part of your growth for you to become an even more powerful woman than you already are, it is not your everyday. It is not your long-term commitment. Please leave. If you are listening to this and you know of someone who is in a domestic violent relationship or has experienced one and really isn't sure whether they're going crazy or doesn't know what to do, please send them this podcast episode so they can hear it, to know that they're not alone. If there's one thing I've learned with all the years of working with beautiful women and continue to do so, is that your story is not special. It is unique to you 
in a particular way, but it is not special. Whether you have been raped, whether you have been abused as a child, sexually, physically, whether you have experienced a domestic violent relationship, whether you have been abandoned, unloved, whether you have been experienced loss, death, you're not alone, my love. This is the message I'm sending. And by sharing my story, I hope that I have created a type of connection, an intimate connection with you so you understand that, that you are not alone. And I truly get it. And I hear you. And you're not crazy. And I love you. I love you for surviving and fighting for as long as you have, whether you're with that person or not. But it's time to start thriving, you beautiful woman. And take it from someone who is who has experienced the extremes of domestic violence, who has had her life threatened, who has had the life of her child threatened. It's not the way that you get to be. So, ah, that concludes this extra long episode (laughs) on my experience with domestic violence. There's a lot in there. There's a lot in there. So if you feel quite dense and heavy from listening to all that, please just put away your technology, put your phone down um, and just go for a swim or have a bath or a shower or get into nature. If you're in the car listening to this, turn everything off, wind down the window, take some deep breaths. Just change the feel of what you just absorbed because it's heavy. It's a lot to absorb. It really is. Um, And I'm going to do the same. I'm going to do the same. There's a lot, there was a long period of time where I couldn't speak about this stuff without crying. And because I have named it to claim it for so long now, it's taken its energetical hold off it and away from me. And I can now speak about it in such a way that is powerful so I can empower others. And that's the whole, my whole intention with this episode. All right, my beautifuls. Thank you so much for listening to me again. I hope you got some value from today. Um, write an honest review down below somewhere, wherever you're listening to this on. Give it some stars if it's called for. But I'd love to get some feedback on, especially this episode, on how you felt and what came up for you and what you experienced. And and like I said, know that I'm here. Please message, reach out. Um, I'm more than happy to hear your story and support you and see you for the amazing woman that you are and not the relationship that you have or are experiencing. I love you guys so much. Thanks for listening to Rebel Unique. And don't forget, if you require more support or you would like to be part of an empowering group of women online and offline, come and join the Rebel Unique membership. I will also put the link for that in the notes. It's truly an empowering place. And like I said, it's a, it's a collective of women who are not special but are certainly unique. And we all share our stories to take away the hole that it does have on our hearts. So we can open up and experience the stuff that we deserve. A life by design. Thank you, my loves. I love you all. Bye. Hey, guys. That one was trippy. (laughs) So leave mum five stars and peace out.